Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. Thanks be to God. My mother is 93 years old and was very sick and in pain for quite a while. And I had sent a prayer request to Wendy McConnell and Wendy brought me a prayer quilt to church to send to her. So I let her open it and when she opened it, she was so proud and was just so proud of that quilt, it brought tears to her eyes. I had to hang it up in our hospital room and everybody that came in our hospital room, doctors, nurses, didn't matter who, she was showing off this prayer quilt that Pam's church sent to her. Now I will tell you this, that when I first took over Celebration, I knew nothing hardly about the Bible and I was sort of really embarrassed to pray out loud. And uh, Bob Phillips helped me with that. He told me that you can't pray wrong. And I'd never thought about that. So now I'll, I, I all normally say the opening prayer at, uh, at the celebration. I believe that we all have uh, uh, something else to do for God, as long as we're sucking air. We love Creekwood for many reasons, but the latest reason is the emotional support and love that we were shown over the past year. I myself had two knee surgery replacements, as well as a spinal fusion. Marley had one spinal fusion, so I won that battle three to one. Our small group gives us prayers, support, and calls from the church to keep our spirits up. So I have a question that I think is probably gonna come off as sounding uh, a little callous, perhaps, um, so don't hold this against me necessarily, but I'm thinking about the bottom line of church growth, I'm thinking about the bottom line of budgets. Can anybody tell me why on earth we care about Pam Frazita's mom? Does that sound callous? I'm sorry. It's just, y'all know I like science, right? So y'all like science, I'm going from this prevailing theory of survival of the fittest, of natural selection, of the way that things advance throughout nature, and the only logical understanding I can come up with for why Wendy would care so much 
about Pam's mom, who doesn't even live in Texas. She's not going to come to church here. She's not given financially here. Right? The only rationale that's logical according to nature from what we understand is that Pam's mom would somehow benefit Wendy directly, or Pam's mom would somehow benefit the organization that benefits Wendy directly, whether financially, whether by attendance, whether by gifts up on worship. I, I can't figure out why we care, but yet I know when I look at all the things we do, when I look at the way that Wendy cared about Pam Frazita's mom, we do care. So let's look deeper. Why would an alpha male of Bob Phillips help another alpha male of Chuck Mundy to gain a status of leader and spiritual authority over Bob, to some respect, in that celebration classroom? Why would Bob give up the authority, the position of kingship authority that he has and willingly help some other male take that position over him? We know that the, uh, the prevailing theory is that the strong get strong by preying on the weak. So why is the FaithWork Sunday School class pouring so much time and prayer and energy and resources into the Campbells to get them back when they could just let them go away and take their seat or whatever resource that they may be occupying? Are humans just this biological anomaly that just do things differently than the entire rest of nature, according to Darwin's theories? Or have we fundamentally misunderstood what it means to be strong? I wonder if you've ever heard the names of uh, Peter Wollobin or Susan Samard. Anybody ever heard these names? They are ecologists. One of them, Peter out of Germany and Susan out of British Columbia in Canada, uh, ecologists who are rethinking the narrative on how trees interact with each other. So the thought since Darwin is that trees behave much like we believe about the animal kingdom and that it's survival of the fittest. And so the biggest, strongest trees reach up, they get the, the resources for the light, they have the longest, deepest roots, so they get the minerals and they get the water, and that the survival of the fittest uh, pervades the trees. And so when we hear this scripture passage that so when we hear the scripture passage, Psalm 1-3, it's, very, you know, it's the foundational scripture of Creekwood, if you close your eyes and I say, there are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither, in all that they do they prosper. I'm curious, how many trees do you see? Right, we tend to make these logos of these big, one, real strong tree. When we watch The Lion King, there is the tree of life. There's always this one really dominant tree. And when we think of trees, I wonder how much of us, or how many of us, look at this scripture and we think, what am I coming to church? How am I going to prosper when I come to church? How am I as a tree going to prosper in and of myself by my relationship with God? What is this church going to give to me? And what Wollopin and um, Samard are talking about, or what they say when they redefine trees is that there's more than one tree in that passage. That if they're prospering, that trees tend to exhibit more we community behavior than survival of the fittest and a me behavior. What, what they've learned is that 
um, trees have this underground network in the tips of their roots. It's called, um, i got to look at my, uh, mycorrhizal networks. They interact with these microscopic fungus that are, and, and they form this symbiotic relation. The fungus gets some nutrients, the trees get uh, nutrients, but what the fungus helps them do is to generate, almost like your brain, like your nervous system, they send chemical impulses to each other uh, to warn each other of danger. So, for example, uh, acacia trees on the plains of Africa, um, even though they are separated from each other, their roots spread so far under the ground and they are connected through these mycorrhizal networks that when a giraffe comes and starts eating the leaves of one of the acacia trees, and the acacia trees will respond by um, pumping toxins into their leaves to try and get the giraffes to stop eating because the giraffes will get sick from, from those leaves, the tree that is being eaten will send an uh, a impulse over to the next tree that is down the line so that it can start pumping its toxins immediately that the giraffes somehow sense and protect that tree. Other examples show that these saplings that grow on forest floors that have no access to sunlight and they would be dominated by the bigger trees in terms of minerals or water resources, what they found is that the, the older, bigger trees actually pump resources into the growing roots of the sapling to help the sapling grow and thrive so that it can join the strength of the forest as opposed to the weakness of one tree. We'll have been even stumbled upon this um, stump of a tree that had been down for 400 to 500 years. And he took a penknife out and he sliced into it. And this stump that had been dead for 400 to 500 years was still green with chlorophyll. Because the trees around it were still nurturing it and caring for it to keep it alive, even in its weakness. What we learn from this research is that it is not the individual strength of the tree. The strength of a tree comes through its connection to the forest. Some of you all know that we lost a church member recently. Um, Jane Ostrowski is her name. A funeral is going to be uh, in February. Um, we lost a church member, and it was devastating. It was hard. Um, but one of the weird things about funerals, and I've said this before, um, one of the weird things about funerals is they end up being the best parties. Um, and they're the best parties because we all come together in grief and we have this common shared bonding, and we know we're allowed to be vulnerable at a funeral. You are allowed to be sad, you are allowed to cry, and there's not very many areas of life in which you are allowed to be vulnerable, when you are not expected to be strong and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And so when we do come together and we're all vulnerable, somehow there's also this spiritual connection that brings us joy because we're open with each other. And when you're open, you can receive as well. And so the receptions for funerals tend to be these really gregarious events where people are swapping stories and have all these things in common, and they are open in sharing, and they are open in receiving. And so it becomes this uh, really interesting, fun party. Um, and, we, and because of COVID, we weren't able to be in the hospital room with Jane, but we got to spend some time with Rick uh, in the hospital or on the phone. And um, Carrie Lynn met with her, met with him. Wendy met with him. I met with him. And um, just kind of this interesting flashback that came to my mind uh, when, when we were going through this tragedy you know, the last couple of weeks. Um, flashback to 2016. And in 2016, we had a member by the name of Jeff Ray. 
who some of you may remember. And Jeff was a great guy. He worked sound for us. He, he was just very present around the church. Um, and, and almost as soon as I arrived here and got to know Jeff, he was diagnosed with cancer that seemed to be, ended up being terminal. What was interesting about Jeff that I kind of got flashbacks to in all the support that, that Rick got around Jane these past couple weeks was um, when I went to Medical Center of McKinney to visit Jeff as he's on his deathbed, um, I had amped myself up for this just really, really hard, sad, traumatic time. And I walk into the ICU and I hear nothing but laughter coming from ICU room five. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is not, maybe he's doing better. I thought maybe there's a miracle. He's doing better. This is going to be incredible. But I walk in and sure enough, there is a very frail dying man. But where you tend to picture a very frail dying man alone in his his bed all by himself with beeping and nurses all around. Instead, I walk into the room and there is a vivacious group of people in green shirts that say Team J. Ray on it. And instead of the stale hospital room walls that you normally find, you have pictures that have been colored by kids and you have other pictures of great memories and trips that they've all been on together that are hovering around Jeff as he is struggling for his life. They have framed pictures that they put on his bedside and on his hospital tray and people are telling jokes. And I don't just mean telling jokes. They are literally ripping on Jeff as Jeff is on a ventilator. I think it was Dan Turner who said to me, well, this is the way we treated Jeff when he was alive, and he's still alive. But throughout the week, as as I would go back over and over again, what was amazing is that those people never left. Those people never left as Jeff was dying, as Jeff passed away. Those people never stopped laughing. They never stopped praying. They never stopped being there for whatever Jeff needed. They had grown vulnerable through times of prayer throughout their small group that they had formed. They had grown vulnerable through times of laughter and shared glasses of wine through their small group that they had formed. They had grown vulnerable as the Bible and the Holy Spirit had empowered them and shown them and broken them down together. So they had learned over the course of their life, they had learned, learned over the course of their life together that they were not strong individually, but they were stronger when they were in community. That their strength didn't come from themselves, their strength came from how connected they were to the forest. And it was this group that showed up every day in Jeff's hospital room. And it was this group that showed up every day afterward for Donna as she grieved. And it was this group that showed up every day for Donna as she learned how to breathe and live again. And it was this group that was just at Donna's wedding and she just, remarried, she just married David, a wonderful guy, a couple weeks ago. This small group that they had formed, that they learned how, that they couldn't live without because it was in doing life together, it was in doing community together that they learned that they were stronger when they opened themselves up to each other and when they shared with each other and when they relied on each other. Far from our theories that we exist, or that, far from our theories that we are stronger when we dominate each other, we're stronger when we cooperate with each other. So I want you to look at the first line of Psalm 133 again. 
This is a psalm. It's called a psalm of ascent. It's in the scripture. It's a psalm of ascent. It is the psalm that they would sing as they were climbing the stairs to the temple or climbing the mountain to go up to the temple that is on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, the holy temple. They're going up to worship, to praise God, to be fed, to get all of the good things that you expect to receive from worship. But what's the first line of this song that they would sing? It says, how very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. Their thought as the Hebrew people, as they're ascending the mountain, as they're going to church on Sunday morning, their first thought is not, what am I going to get out of this? Their first thought is not, I need to get the best seat or make sure I get the donuts. Their first thought is not, what is in it for me today? Their first thought is, thank God we get to be together. Thank God we get to celebrate God together. Thank God that God has brought us together. Thank God that we have this unity that we can find in common, that we're not divided by what trade I'm in or who I am or what my political party is or or whether I live inside the gates or whether I don't live inside the gates. Thank God that we get to come together and we just get to be humble together. And we get to receive God together. And we get to look upon each other in love with each other. Because it's hard to worship with somebody and hate them afterward. And they use these two, um, they use these two images. Uh, the, the psalmist does. You know, how, good is, how great is it to be in unity together? And he describes how good it is by these two images. One is the oil that is flowing from the priest's beard, from Aaron, the high priest, the Levite, the original Levite flowing from this priest beard and it goes down to his robe and it's a little outdated of an image for us because I don't have a beard, Carrie Lynn doesn't have a beard, Adam doesn't have a beard, Katrina doesn't have a beard, right? We don't have any priests here with beards that are flowing down with oil. We don't use oil, but oil was this very refreshing thing that when you walked into somebody's house, they would anoint you with oil. They would slick your hair back with oil. It was a refreshing thing. And for the priests, they would anoint themselves with oil before going into the Holy of Holies. So it was also a sanctifying thing. And that unity, community, is a refreshing, sanctifying thing. Gathering in a small group, having intentional unity and vulnerability with each other, it it just feels good to be able to share with each other, to give each other burdens. Or as Scripture says, bear one another's burdens. That when you are able to share those burdens or those joys, you have someone to call when your kid does something great and somebody will say, oh my gosh, your kid is the best. Right? That's refreshing. And it's uplifting. And then when hard times come, it's also sanctifying because you get to push each other. The prevailing thought economically and then biologically is that we grow stronger because we compete with each other. But what the Bible tells us and what I think I've learned through experience is that we grow stronger when we lovingly, compassionately push each other. So the oil that flows down off the beard is one, but they also use the example of um, Mount Hermon, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the dew that's falling off of Mount Hermon. And uh, if you look, Mount Hermon is um, very, very far away from Jerusalem. In the, in the scripture, it says the dew that falls on Mount Hermon, which covers the Mount of Zion. And so it's this kind of interesting imagery because there is no way that dew off of Mount Hermon would ever bless anything as far south. I mean, it's so far south you can't even see Jerusalem in the map. Um, 
that I, that I picked out here for. But if you see the river, the Jordan River right there, uh, Mount Hermon was in a region that would snow more and it would rain more. And so there was more runoff from that mountain that would go into the Jordan River that would then flow down to Jerusalem where they got their water. And so the dew, the rainfall on Mount Hermon does in fact bless Jerusalem, Mount Zion. Because when we gather in unity, when we gather in community, it impacts so much farther than just ourselves. Not only are we blessed by our community, our small group, but we are, blessed, we are a blessing to the other people in there. And you know, when someone else in your community is healthier because of you, well, we all don't exist in islands or small groups all the time. We extend out into our places of work, our own kids, our own family, our own grandkids. And so the blessing that we have in being in unity together, by gathering together, by meeting together, by praying together, by doing all of these things, supporting each other, makes other people healthy, which extends healthy living and healthy spirituality and healthy love out into the rest of the world. And so there's no amount of good that we could ever imagine simply by being in healthy spirituality with each other. Right? That's why we care for Pam for Zeus's mom. It's because we have been blessed and she's part of our community. And because she's part of our community, her mom is part of our community. And you know what? If her mom's friend was sick and we heard about that, her mom's friend would be part of our community as well because there is no amount of good that can be done. There's no good amount of good that cannot be done if we have no limits as to how far that unity extends. One of the big lies that we've been told, one of the big lies that we tell ourselves is that we must do it all ourselves. One of the other big lies that we've been told is that we cannot trust those around us. One of the other big lies that we've been told is that we cannot gain anything from our enemies or even love our enemies. But over 20 years of ministry at Creekwood, what we have seen over and over again are the people who are the healthiest and the people who make the biggest impact are those who are trusting and those who do unite with a group, especially a small group or a Bible study. What we have seen over and over and over again is that those people who will humble themselves and be vulnerable, who will open themselves up from a discipline standpoint of saying, I will pledge to be there and I will pledge to participate and I will pledge to let you into my life so that God can do something with our connection so that we can share warning together, share support together, share nutrients together so that we will be a stronger forest than simply just a solo tree. One last example I just want to share with you real fast and it's an example of a small group about five years ago that I thought was going to be a very unhappy ending, um, but fortunately has turned the other way. Um, There's a group, the Upstart group, about five years ago, full of all sorts of young families. Uh, it's a group that uh, they call themselves the Nest class. And some of you are in this. Some of you know people who are in this class right now. And the Nest started with a bang. These two women just went out and they just conquered and um, they invited all their friends or people who had never come to church here who showed up for Sunday school that first morning. They met. They had like 25. They grew to like 30, 35. I mean, it was this really dynamic class. And we were so excited. We thought this is the future of our church, right? They're going to be future leaders and everything. And they did what they were supposed to do. Well, we hope every group does. They became vulnerable with each other. They shared prayer requests. They leaned on each other. They had social events together. It was everything we had prayed for and hoped for 
from a small group, except some people didn't take that covenant seriously. Um, and what happens is sometimes um, because our church doesn't have a closed borders to the rest of our community, sometimes community struggles seep into the church, and it's nothing that we've done, but it is things between people that happen in the community, and, and that ends up negative here. And then this happened. Um, there was a negative thing to where somebody in that small group was um, breaking trust outside of that small group in the community um, that caused a rift, and it, and it ended up in that small group to where what well, once was a thriving group of 30, 35, ended up uh, down to four. And so it was four people, it was two couples, that met in the Lovejoy Library for about four to six months every week. And you know, it's really hard when, like, when a new young family comes, they're like, hey, we got this great group called The Nest. And they're like, where does it meet? And, the, and they're like, and you have to say, the Lovejoy Library. I'm like, where is the Lovejoy Library? Well, you have to go past the six locked doors to find the door that's open. And then you have to weave through about three passageways before you go to the, all the way back to the very far building. And people would just be like, nah, we're not going to do that. Right, so they met and they prayed and they just, they just prayed like, okay, when we open up this new building and we finally get to move back in, people are going to come, right? And, and Charlotte Smith and Kendall Simpson were two of those people. And when they did move back in, they busted their tail to go be vulnerable with people and invite them into their group and, and, and say, you know what, we've got this great opportunity to, to share with each other and to grow with each other. And eventually that group did build back up because, because there were four people Two couples who said we're better together, who didn't give up on the dream of their forest, who didn't give up on the strength that they had with each other. They had grown these networks together that they knew there was something better about being together than there was about being apart, no matter how hard it was to be together during that time. And it paid off. And there's fruit that's being born because those trees talk to each other and they share with each other and they live with each other. And this is what we want you to experience. We have seen from the past 20 years how beneficial it is to schedule your time to share with others. Just as Pastor Carolyn was talking about discipline in terms of finance, you have discipline when you want to get in shape, you have discipline when you want to stop smoking or eat better. Sharing, being vulnerable, is a discipline that says, I will schedule my time for this group. And I will use this time to intentionally connect with others so that I can be stronger, so that we can be stronger. And we want that for you. We want you to be part of a small group going forward that is supportive and nurturing and caring. And I would love for you to talk to Pastor Adam to get engaged with that. And here's the thing, is there is no limitation on what that looks like. There's no limitation to how far our community can spread. We, have, we are not married to 9.45 on Sunday. We are not married to uh, 11 o'clock on Tuesday morning, right? We are not married to any of these models because what we just deeply desire for you is for you to have that experience of going someplace saying, how blessed is it when we gather together in unity? When you know you are going to feel the presence of God because you are strongly rooted with somebody else. We want that for you. It is necessary for you. And if you want to really have the strength of Christ in your life, you can't do it alone. Let me tell you, I think we've tried the whole pull myself up by my own bootstraps for long enough. 
I think we've tried the whole, like, well, I'm just going to go my own way thing for long enough. I think we've tried the rugged individual thing long enough, and I don't think it's gotten us where we wanted to be. Not just as a church, but as a nation, as a world. So why don't we try something different? Why don't we try not being that solo strong tree that thinks it can weather everything? But why don't we try being part of a forest? Why don't we try being vulnerable? Why don't we try worshiping and living in unity together? Let's pray. Praise it's God, it's in your mercy that we are able to come into your presence because you have wanted to be with us from the very beginning. You are love and needed someone to love. And so we have been created to be with you, with each other, as partners, created as partners to eventually then have gifts that form the church. And so God, nothing about our existence is solitary or solo. And we thank you for those you have put in our lives we might be able to share with and to learn from, and to be sharpened by, and to support and celebrate with. Lord God, guide our hearts and guide our minds, guide our footsteps so that we might find those who we might pour into and who might pour into us. And in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.